0: You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch A Star Wars TV show podcast From Rebels to Resistance And The Mandalorian to Ewoks We've got you covered Here's your warning There will be spoilers And there will be swearing Cause our hosts just get so gonk darn excited To talk about these good good shows Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows and then we talk about them, except when we don't do that. Uh, (laughs) We are currently covering every Ryloth themed episode of Star Wars TV, and we are covering a book this week. But before we get into Lords of the Sith, we have a guest.
1: Yes. Uh I I am here. I I am the guest. Hello.
0: <laughs> Hello. Thank you for joining us half of Gold Squadron Gays. Thank you. The
1: the the smart half of Gold Squadron Gaze. <laughs> uh No, uh my name is Charles. Uh as Andy mentioned, I am one half of the Gold Squadron Gaze uh podcast TV themed podcast that I do with my What door did we decide on before? Did did we decide on colleague Is he my colleague? sounds right, yeah. I think nemesis
2: nemesis was what you used off off recording.
1: (laughs) My nemesis, Bradley. um, We we do deep dives into Star Wars TV episodes. If there's current coverage, we cover whatever's currently out. We just finished Kenobi. Um, Otherwise, we do just sort of whatever strikes our fancy. We've done the two seasons of Mandalorian... We are about to do, at time of recording this, it will come out start next week. We're about to do a three-parter on Rogue One. We're about to do our first attempt at taking our formula and applying it to film, which will be interesting to see how people respond to, because we've that, never done that before.
0: That sounds super fun.
1: Yeah, we we broke the film down into three acts, so, so we tried to break it down into a three-act structure, and then we covered each act as if it was an episode of television, which was... Definitely an experience. Uh, I'll be curious to see what people think about it. But I've seen Rogue One about a hundred billion times. It was super interesting to go through it with a fine-tooth comb.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a blast. And uh, I just want to say how much I love your show. Uh, Thank you. Obviously, like, being on Star Wars Twitter and, like, having our own Star Wars podcast, I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, and you guys are consistently uh, one of my favorites. Thank you.
1: I am, I am shocked every time someone says that to me. I just I put out my goofy little podcast every week and and talk to Bradley and I'm I'm glad every time people enjoy it. I'm I'm glad that we can do something that's positive. That we can do something that's a safe space for people across the the spectrum, the LGBT spectrum, to come and hang out and. Listen to us talk about Star Wars. I think that's that's something awesome that we've been able to do with the show. And I'm very proud of the fact that people are enjoying it. I think that is very awesome. I think the name scares away most of the really shitty people. I don't think anyone <laughs> awful is going to click on a show with gays in the name.
0: Oh, or just Y-Wings.
1: Or Y-Wings. <laughs> yeah. true. Shitty people do not like Y-Wings.
0: I love Y-Wings so
1: much. Uh-huh. I get I get unreasonably excited. I've I've watched Rebels and I've watched uh, part of Clone Wars with my boyfriend. I'm I'm taking him through the Star Wars saga, kind of out of order. Every time Y-wings come on the screen or they mention Gold Squadron, I like leap off the couch and I'm like, it's us! It's <laughs> it's, it's it's the Y-wings! It's the Y-wing ships. There is so it's... much Y-wing action
2: in those shows. I think more than the movie. Gold oh, Squadron sure.
1: shows up a bunch in Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, Anakin's Gold Leader.
1: Hmm. I yeah. I completely I... forgot about that until Andy tweeted about it after being on our show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cosplay both Gold Leaders because uh, I'm a fucking nerd. Love it. I I had for
1: completely forgot that Anakin was Gold Leader, and then I watched Clone Wars again with my boyfriend, and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, Anakin is definitely gold leader. Huh.
0: <laughs> I I think something that sets y'all apart is that even I, and like I have to preface this with saying that like I disagree with everyone's Star Wars takes. If you have a Star Wars podcast, you have your hot takes and you disagree with everyone else. You might not voice, you know, those disagreements, but you'll be scrolling through Twitter and be like man, I thought that guy was smart. Like, what the fuck did he just say about <laughs> the Battle of Yavin? Like, psh. uh But even when I disagree with your guys' takes, you guys explain so well why you feel this way or that way about a character or an event or a force concept that I'm like, you know, I like, I still think I'm right, but also that perspective is one I haven't heard before, or I've never considered it that way that deeply. And like, I have to marinate on that now. And I fucking love that. So y'all, y'all keep doing what you're doing. Love the pod. And I'm excited to dig into uh, this book with you and hear your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah. Apparently I'm the book guest. Uh, This is not (laughs) the first podcast that I have been on specifically to talk about a book. Uh, I was on I was invited on an episode of first Steps to talk about Dark Disciple so this is actually the second time now that I've been on a podcast to talk about a book i' nice. I'm, I'm hoping to carve out a niche for myself uh, as the guy who's read all the Star Wars books because i've I'm very close i'm I'm missing like two junior novels that I still two three junior novels that I still have to finish but for the most part I've basically read all of them so when you guys started doing your your Ryloth coverage. I was like, "Oh. Let me let me just DM Andy real fast and ask them if we're going to do uh, if they're going to do Lords of the Sith and so, do you have a guest lined up for
0: that?" <laughs> and this was this was a while ago because we took a pretty long break in there for uh celebration and my wedding and stuff. So, this oh, was back a uh, And
1: and let me be I think maybe the first after uh, after the wedding the first person on the on the pod to congratulate you on the oh, pod thank you. for your wedding. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Second.
2: Narrowly edged out. Jam the Jedi and I showered Andy with congratulations
1: last week. Ooh. Ooh, so close. So close. True. Well, I'll I'll be the second then. <laughs> Perfect. Congratulations. Uh, thank
0: you. Yeah, it was it was a damn good time. We just got pictures back, so now I'm posting pictures. Uh, Ryan got engaged at Celebration, so that we can shower I Ryan and some praise, too. Wait, you what?
2: Yeah, my my girlfriend and I proposed to each other at the Rebel Legion group photo. I had a feeling she'd be doing it, so I carried a ring in my pocket and ambushed her when she ambushed me.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Cong- yep. Well, congratulations to, to everybody. Thank
2: you. Yeah. But, but back to Andy. Oh my gosh, that castle, that venue,
0: the dress. You, oh thank my god, you. thank you, thank you.
1: Yes, we were it's, gushing it's about like, those this morning. It's like something out of like Lord of the Rings, maybe I have Lord of the Rings on the brain because the Ring of, Rings of Power trailer just <laughs> came out. Just like this ethereal, beautiful, like, fairy tale almost. its I just saw the pictures for Context oh, today and I was you, like, oh, you. that's lovely.
0: Yeah, we were leaning into like a Midsummer Night's Dream kind of oh, Definitely. So the castle and like the laurel crowns and uh, the swords and the thrones and the deer pelts. Yeah. Sort of an old fairy kind of thing. Yeah, like the... we, we have a strong aesthetic uh, in our house and we uh, went hard for the wedding because we're a couple of nerds. Oh, yeah. Those are the best weddings. <laughs>
1: Those are the best weddings, because nerds also know how to, to pick the good beers.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is very true. Ryan, I, we can talk about me all night, but do you have a bit for us? I
2: don't shoot, because we don't Wait, usually what? do one when we have a guest. When we have a guest, we never have a bit.
0: I mean sometimes Wait, we uh, do. that's why I checked. That's why I checked. Sometimes we have a bit, sometimes we don't. Well,
2: well, hold on, hold on. Uh fuck Mary Kill uh D Squad. Have you seen the D Squad episodes of Clone Wars? No, I'm I kidding. literally
1: That's such a bad thing. No, hold on. Cause literally, I am going to watch those episodes this weekend. My yes. boyfriend and I are up to the D Squad arc in Clone <laughs> Wars. Droids are his favorite thing. Like he oh, loves yes. droids. Does not give a shit about anything else. He is here for the droids, and I've been consistently oh, he's telling gonna love him it. the D Squad arc is the worst arc in Clone Wars. No doubt, like, but it's it is so good. It's bad. It is so bad. <laughs> I like love this favorite dude. episode. He is literally. Oh my! He's he can hear me in the main room. He's literally texting me. beep, boop beep, <laughs> <laughs> beep, <laughs> beep, <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> We're gonna see if he keeps this opinion. Um. Fuck Gregor, marry R2, kill the guy that's inside, um, I forget his name, the colonel. Meager
0: Gaskon.
1: Yeah, Meager Gaskon. Okay. Go ahead, Andy.
0: Fuck R2, marry the pit droid, murder Gregor. Really? Yeah. Why fuck, murder fuck Gregor? Gregor. I right want here. to know. I don't, I don't I don't I don't trust any Republic Commando. Oh. Fair <laughs> fair. Andy, we
1: have we have discussed before you and I our, our mutual dislike of the work of, of Karen Travis. Okay, fair. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel that I do.
2: I never associated him with those Republic Commandos, but damn.
1: <laughs> he's he's like based. On them, like when yeah. I watched the show when I was a college student, because I didn't watch it when it was coming out. I watched it a little bit later because I was it. a really shitty fanboy. <laughs> um, I thought he was supposed to be boss from Republic Commando because uh, they show up in season three. Right, right, They're right. in Witches of the Mist. And I was like, oh, that's the dude from Republic Commando. But I guess not. I guess
0: no, yeah, he I'll, is different. A different. I'll trust thing? an ARC trooper, but I won't go fucking anywhere with her Republic commando.
1: I think that is that is reasonable. I I would say the Bad Batch. I trust the Bad Batch because they're technically Republic commandos, but they they're doing something a little bit different.
0: They're on thin ice. Yeah, they're on thin ice. They got Echo, so that's that. You know, that, that's an ARC trooper right there, but. I think is, I got my hmm. I got my eye on him, you know.
1: All right, Ryan, we're we're carrying this bit to its conclusion. Yeah, let's do it.
2: Um, I think fuck whack forty seven the pit droid because he's flexible and that's important. Um, marry that green R four unit because he's loyal and and that's that's important in a spouse. And kill R two D two. Because many have tried, what? and he always many have tried, and he always comes back. No consequence in killing R two D two, and I can't commit to killing any of the others because
1: I love them. I mean, not not to spoil the end of the arc, uh, because as previously established, <laughs> because of the ventilation, my boyfriend can currently hear me speaking right now. Yeah, uh, just that is relevant given the end of that arc. Exactly. Hmm. Speaking of things blowing up,
0: <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this this book. Um, let's I'm going to do, do uh, the the most bare bones synopsis. Uh, this book is really long and it's really good, and you should, in fact, read it. Um, we are a spoiler podcast, but even so, I feel like this book is kind of impossible to spoil because I, you yeah. know i will jump in and say
1: that that i am going to spoil the very end of the book uh there is a point there's a thing that happens like literally in the last 15 minutes of the audiobook that i want to talk about so if nothing else this episode isn't going anywhere y'all you can you can pause the episode go read the book and then come back or if you don't care about spoilers proceed
0: and, and again, I, I highly recommend this book. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite uh, Star Wars books, period. Um, it is set uh, eight years after the start of The Clone Wars, which um, I hate that The Clone Wars is only three years long, yes. and that is a <laughs> running theme on this podcast. But yeah, apparently The Clone Wars only lasts three years, so this is five years after... Revenge of the Sith, which I feel like this timeline has been heavily retconned anyway, uh, to because... an extent.
1: Yeah, because there's like the thing about Lords of the Sith is it was it was released in 2015. I have a sneaking suspicion that I don't know when it was started to be written, but it might have been like developed right after the acquisition, and they were developing Rebels. So there's stuff in there that's like not re- like they have V wings. They don't use Tie yeah. fighters. They use V wings. Vader stuff is in, in
0: his Ada interceptor still. Yeah, mm-hmm. his black and gray Jedi starfighter. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite line up with well, what has now been more fleshed out.
2: I mean we're still we're still nine ten years ahead of Rebels though, and we do see the Empire using V wings in the Bad Badge. Yeah, and yeah, also but- like.
1: This is not Warhammer 40K or or Star Trek. Like the right. small de- don't sweat the small details, yeah. guys. It's it's a yeah. mythology, not a history. If they're using V wings, you can do some. I always say that like when an inconsistency pops up, the best reaction to have is not to ask yourself, you know, is this a plot hole, but to ask yourself instead okay, what is a potential explanation for this? And you'll find that about 85% of the things that you look at and go plot hole, plot hole, you can come up with an explanation for why X is slightly different here than X is later
0: on. Canon shouldn't be a shackle. Exactly. Right. And we've seen
1: with like Obi-Wan Kenobi that you can work really well in it, but at the same time, we've also seen like the beginning of Bad Batch just straight up, Overwrite something, which in itself is a complicated thing, but they both work individually really well as stories, and you can reckon there's ways to reconcile them together.
0: So this book is about Cham Sindula's Freedom Fighters on Ryloth. And uh it opens with uh some of his uh cohorts getting uh pretty Pretty, pretty fucked up and massacred, I, I think, by Vader. Yep. Uh, um, and Cham is extremely discouraged and he decides that he's done with half measures. He's going to try to do uh, something buck wild and steal the declaration of. Ind- no, he's going to try and assassinate uh, Palpatine and Vader uh, with an elaborate ploy. And um, he has a lot of chess pieces on the board. He has an uh, Imperial officer who uh, hates the governor of Ryloth. And uh, he's gotten to got blackmail on this guy. And they're kind. They both think they're using each other. And Cham is like lining up pieces. And uh, sure enough, he, he like. Gets word that Vader and Palpatine are coming with Ornfreetah, Ta and Cham springs his trap and he attacks their Star Destroyer with a bunch of Vulture Droids and Buzz Droids and he sends a bunch of Twilight commandos in and they fuck up the engines and the ship's gonna blow up, so they have to evacuate. And Vader and Palpatine are like, well, this kind of sucks. And they get in a shuttle, and then uh some people are trying to shoot down the shuttle and Vader force chokes her and then she crashes her ship into Vader's ship and they fucking they fucking crash land on Ryloth. And now it's Vader, Palpatine and two fucking royal guards having the worst day ever (laughs) and a bunch of angry Twi'leks who are running around trying to murder Vader and Palpatine before uh, the like Empire like sends in reinforcements. And it's very stressful. This book is very, very stressful because as much as things are kind of going well for Cham and he's like, man, we're having a really great time on this boat. Nothing bad could happen on this boat. This boat's motherfucking unsinkable. Yeah. USS Titanic. Oh, fuck. That's an iceberg. Like, you know, the iceberg is coming. Um. And when this came out, we did not know that Cham survived. We did not know that Cham was going to be in Rebels. So, uh, that was... Yeah, I kept
2: thinking about that.
0: That was the added stressor if you read this in 2015. Reading it in hindsight, you do know that he's gonna survive, but I don't think that ruins any of the tension because you still have the knowledge that, like, this plan will not work. Like, as much as Cham seems to be on his game and as much as he seems to have things going well, it's not going to. Uh, so there's, like, numerous traps that he tries to get Palpatine in and, uh, Vader and Palpatine are constantly just having like sithy conversations. Um, the Imperial that Cham has like under his thumb keeps doing like goddamn, uh, weekend at Bernie shenanigans to like stop the other Imperials from catching him. And he's trying to like frame the moth who's a lesbian and, that's not important. I just think it's cool. It's so our first um,
1: Canon because um, this came out before aftermath, I looked it up. loth yeah. Moore's first confirmed Canon on page LGBT character in Star Wars in Canon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and she's great, which is like
1: which is yeah I, I'm sure we'll talk about her at at some point because she was a little controversial when when the book came out and is still slightly controversial but less so. Uh, I was I was also gonna say too what's what's interesting in, in terms of the tension like with Cham is one good choice that they've made that's that's made this still a very tense book is that Cham is not what I'd call the main Twilight character in mm-hmm. the book. Uh, Istval, who is one of his like associates is is the Twilight that we focus on the most in the book. So even if you know like Cham's gonna survive, you don't know what's gonna to happen to Isfall, and they spend like a lot of time at the beginning of the book establishing that most, if not all, of these Twilight characters are disposable and expendable and may not make it out. Even if you know Cham does, you don't know if Isval is going to, and she's really the one of the key emotional centers for the, the Twilight story. I'm sorry, I can't get the way that the, the audiobook pronounces T- Twi'lek T- Twi- T- out of my head. I know oh we were talking gosh. about it before. I'm saying Twi'lek, like, I keep thinking Twillik because I've been hearing Twi'lek like all fucking day. All day.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's... <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, there's a lot of attempted traps, Vader and Palpatine keep getting out of them, and the climax of the book happens where uh, Vader, Palpatine, and the one remaining uh, Royal Guard make it to a Twilight village. Uh, Cham uh, has tricked the Imperials into, like, doing an airstrike on the village. Uh, but then he finds out that it is still full of innocent Twi'leks. So there's this tension on Cham... Kind of has the element of surprise, and he has a bunch of his forces surrounding the village, but he is uh, worried about the innocents inside, and he has to make some rough decisions to try and uh, decide, is it better to kill Vader and Palpatine uh, now, potentially, or... Is there a way to warn the villagers without, you know, giving away the attack? It's a whole thing. Um, Again, things don't go well for Cham. A big firefight ensues. uh, And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, Vader and Palpatine don't die. And uh, Cham is forced to to flee because he's more important, alive, as the figurehead of this movement. Um, What do y'all think of Lords of the Sith? Lords
1: of the Sith, it's really interesting because listening to it back again, I've obviously read it before, but this time I downloaded the audiobook so I could listen to it. And listening to it back again, it's the canon. canon as an entity hadn't really been established yet when this book came out. This was one of the first pieces of canon media we got. And as such, it's a very small story. And that makes it such an interesting read because we spend a lot of time with Vader. We spend a lot of time with Istval. We spend a lot of time with the different characters in the book getting into their head. There's Vader stuff in particular that like made me perk up and be like, whoa, oh okay. Like the whole bit where he's entering Ryloth's atmosphere and he has like this flashback to being Anakin. The whole main theme of the book is like, has he put Anakin, at least with him, has he put Anakin aside? You know, is he fully embracing Vader? Is he prepared to kill Palpatine? It's this whole back and forth between them. And I think that the smallness of the story in terms of keeping it focused on a core group of characters moving around serves it really well. I also think it's such a manipulative book, and I say that in terms of there's, like, Five different groups of characters all trying to manipulate each other. And it does a good job of spinning, like, what character knows what. Like, Moors the moth, figures out that Belcord Dre is the traitor. And how she goes through this process, but, like, Belcor doesn't know that she's figured it out, or even that she's alive. And, like, there's a whole bit towards the end where she's, like actively turning his guys against him and he doesn't know it's it's a really good book like you really should read it and it's it's a good entry as well if you've never read a star wars book and you're interested to get in it and you don't want to get bogged down in like a dozen different things because the only things they were working off of were clone wars um, the movies and like there's two mentions of Hera in the book and you can come into it with only that knowledge and you're, you're set.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely stands on its own. And yet, see, I'm, I'm in the process of rereading it. The last time I read it, it was new. Um, so the synopsis brought back a lot. I think the first time I read it, I wasn't that into Cham Sindula, and it was Rebels that made me realize what an interesting character he is. And I remember at the time not really feeling the free Ryloth parts, but now I think Cham and Isval are two of my favorites. I don't know.
1: I think the free Ryloth, knowing what we know now about Clone Wars, and then now we have the Bad Batch, uh, which y'all talked about on the last episode that I haven't heard yet. Yes. In... um, at time of recording, I have not yet heard that episode, but we know that, and then we know what happens to him in Rebels. The idea that after the events of the Bad Batch, he went and built up basically another rebel movement, like he had built up during the Clone Wars, and it all gets destroyed. In this book, it all gets destroyed. Like he throws all of it at Vader and the Emperor and Ornfriton, it doesn't work, which spoilers for the end of the book i guess turns out that was that was palpatine's plan which we all should have seen coming because that's kind of his mo get rebel cells to throw themselves at him before he's ready and smack them down but and then when we see him again in rebels he's only got like three people with him
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot going on here that I really love. And some of my favorite parts are the political machinations of uh, Belcour and Mothmores and Cham and Belcour and Palpatine and Vader and then Vader and Palpatine and Palpatine and all of the other Imperials like Palpatine doesn't want anyone to know that he's a sith lord which is really interesting so he is like at times refusing to use his powers uh one i think just to fuck with vader and annoy vader uh but two also because if he does use his powers and people see then he's going to have to murder everyone who saw so there's there's a lot of like cat and mouse stuff happening between all of these different pieces on the board and it's asking questions about, you know, like what is leadership? And what is it to be committed to a cause? And uh, you know, shit like that. And I love Cham. Uh I, I liked Cham before I read this book. I liked Cham significantly more after having read this book. And uh it's it's a fun one. One thing I love is The dynamic between Belcordray and
1: Mothmore is the two sort of Imperials that we see, and and then there's a third one who's a relatively decently major player. None of them care about Ryloth at all. Like, none of them care, but they don't care in different ways. Moore's, when we meet her at the beginning of the book, is just kind of living off Ryloth. Like, she basically sees it as like a convenience store that she can go in and pluck things off that suit her fancy and Belcordre is all about having power he doesn't care that it's power in Ryloth he just wants more power in general but we also have that contrast with Istval and Cham there's that whole sequence where Istval goes and uh rescues that woman from the uh Lesu is it the capital city yeah I think it's Lesu goes and rescues that woman from Lesu, and, like, Istval has gone and got people out. And Cham, at the end of the book, he is faced with a choice of, does he fire on Vader and the Emperor with the element of surprise, and potentially kill uh, Twi'leks in the process, or does he do the right thing and fire warning shots so they can get away, but lose the element of surprise? And he chooses to fire the warning shots. Uh, he chooses not to take the element of surprise. So it's an interesting look at this point in history, how the Empire and the Imperial characters view both the planet of Raeloth, and then broadly, this is how the Empire in general views its... What's the word for it? I, I want to say colonized, but that's not right. Enslaved planets. Occupied yeah, co- planets, I think. occupied. occupied. I think occupied. It's occupied planets it doesn't care about. We just saw in Kenobi, uh, Mapuzo, the planet that they're stripping bare. There's some interesting stuff there with how they're coming in and stripping the quarries of the planet bare. And nobody seems to, that we've seen, really seems to care or even notice. It's just a footnote in a meeting that they're stripping this planet bare, but we also see that the quarries are running dry. And it's going to have an effect on the people. So I thought it was interesting looking at the contrast between how all the different characters view it. And to an extent, Orn Freeta, although he's not in this book a lot. He's he's mostly just there to set the plot in motion and get choked by Vader a couple times.
0: <laughs> Do we want to talk about the Orn Tall at all?
2: Uh, Orn Freeta. Real quick, before we get to Orn Frita, I I just realized today, actually... Cham not firing on the civilians is probably the one moment in his whole arc across all the series and this book that best distinguishes him from Saw. Because I, I have called him Twilight Saw a
0: lot. but Well, I think... I think there's a degree where Cham maybe regrets it.
1: Oh. Maybe by the events of Rebels.
0: Yeah. Because he... I can see why he would have a more extremist phase after this book with how bad everything goes for him. And, like, we know that he's going to, like, dedicate his life to it and kind of not be the father he should have been for Hera. And I think a big part of that is guilt over uh, making, quote-unquote, the softer decision and Vader and Palpatine live to do untold horrors across the galaxy.
1: We also see a, a running theme with some of the characters who are resisting, uh, the empire in the first order and, and various other fascist authoritarian groups throughout the history of the franchise of like Yoda says in empire, you know, once you start down, I'm paraphrasing once you start down the dark path forever, will it dominate your destiny? And once you you make the choice that some sacrifices are necessary, you have now opened the door to all sacrifices being necessary. And we see this as a running theme through Saw's arc. We see it through other times. And I think Cham is definitely one example of that. Is We see him in Clone Wars and in this book being... A little softer, He's he doesn't want to get his people caught up. He's fighting for his people as a people. And I think when later on, we will see him get closer and closer to fighting for his people as an idea. I don't know if I'd say he gets the logical end of that, because I think he has Hera to pull him back. Yeah. Which is something that Saw never had, because he cut Jenner so loose, uh, which... Rebel Rising, also a very good book that people should read. Don't be scared off by the fact it's a junior novel. It's fucking excellent.
0: I don't think Cham has ever done anything wrong a day in (laughs) his (laughs) life. And uh I uh I'm closer to Saul than I am on Mothma. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I
1: uh we were discussing before the show because As of today, literally today, an interview came out and Genevieve O'Reilly was talking about how they were filming scenes in the Imperial Senate and how Andor was going to be very political. And Mon Mothma, I was talking about, is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. Not because I agree with her politically, and in fact, because I disagree with her on a lot of things, and I think that makes her a really interesting character to me. Characters like Saw and Cham are very much the same way. That there's things they do that I'm like, hmm, yeah, you have the right idea with that, actually. Um, blow up the space fascists. <laughs> I, I do agree with that, actually. That's good call. Uh, fire on the civilians and blow up a party and kill everyone horribly with shards of glass. Uh, maybe I, I don't think so um so yeah it's one thing that new canon has done that i don't think legends did and and y'all can certainly correct me if i'm misremembering this legends in legends it was pretty clear that the rebellion was basically just the good guys that they weren't looked at that much in a critical light especially the leadership and I've criticized the Legends timeline for the Empire Falls, they put the New Republic back in place, and then everything is fine forever. Yeah, Fate of the Jedi happens, but everything's back to normal at the end of... Uh, not Fate of the Jedi, Legacy of the Force happens. But everything's fine at the end of Legacy of the Force. Like, they put it all back together. So, one thing that I like in new canon is that it they explore more of the ideology of the different political leaders in the various factions, and not, it's not afraid for the good guys' quote-unquote political beliefs to have consequences, both good and bad. Like Mon Malthus' demilitarization of the New Republic, directly and decision not to prosecute the old empire people as hard as they should have done it, directly leading to the rise of the First Order.
0: If the left loves to do one thing, it's, uh, infight and eat their own. So the idea that there are these different belief systems on the left between Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, uh, Padme when she was, uh, forming the rebellion, uh, Cham and Saul, I think makes a lot of sense that they each have their own opinions about how to do things and, uh, they all, uh, have varying degrees of animosity or uh, friendliness towards each other is is very fun. The conflict
1: between, if I remember the right, this right, the conflict between Garnbell Iblis and Mon Mothma, which is the closest they got to actually I was like. Just
2: thinking of that.
1: That was more of a Garnbell Iblis did not like Mon Mothma and thought she was consolidating power. And that got basically resolved at the end of. Um, the Last Command? The Last Command, I think, was where they resolved that. And after that, it was fine. But in New Canon, one thing I really like is there's a lot of debate and disagreement and splinter factions. And the Empire is generally united behind the Emperor overall. But then you have the Rebellion splintering off into to different factions, like the Partisans. And that's a really bold choice for Canon. And I really like that. And we even see it in Lords of the Sith to bring us around to Lords of the Sith. We see the, tw- I almost said Twilich again. <laughs> Fucking hell. He got into we your see- head. It got into my head. It's, it's living in my brain. Now it's crouched on my brain, like a giant amorphous blob <laughs> preventing me from saying twilight correctly. <laughs> Oh. We we even see the Twilight characters in the book disagree and argue about the right way to go forward with things. Like, they get frustrated with each other. They disagree. And I... Oh, I could talk about this all day, as evidenced by the fact I've been talking for about five minutes straight. <laughs> I hope that's
2: that... And it, it has to be the whole plot of the show, but I really hope that Andor... Leans into the splinter factions of the rebellion.
1: I recall reading a thing a while ago that Saw Gerrera was going to be in it.
0: Yeah, I think so, uh, I'd, I'd I think be shocked if he wasn't. Stone
2: uh, Siresguard leaked that he had a scene with him.
1: Man, Forrest Whitaker will just he'll play Saw Gerrera. He'll do it for like no money. He'll do it for scale. Probably. <laughs> he just loves this part. I can't blame him.
0: i want to talk about isvald yes uh isvald is a former uh sex worker uh she uh was forced into it and uh she escaped and joined cham's movement um something that she does that i love is uh she fucks with gender Uh, She sharpens her teeth, which is a thing that typically only male Twilights do. Um, And she continues to occasionally pose as a sex worker to assassinate Imperials uh, in alleyways and shit. And she frees other sex workers and has them join Cham's movement. And she's just really fucking badass. Uh, Like Charles mentioned, she's kind of the main POV character we have. Uh, in the book, and uh, she's a fascinating look at Twilight culture.
1: Yeah, she's one of three Twilights that I can think of that that sharpen their teeth. Although, I I really just love when the Twilights like fuck with gender, like the the one in, the the guy in Book of Boba Fett who yeah. has the
0: ear yeah. cones, I think, and the guy in Solo. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then uh. Of course, I, I could not go on any podcast without mentioning the High Republic. Uh, Lorna D, sharpening her teeth um, as an act of rebellion, love that. I I don't know why it's the Twilights specifically that get to get away with that, but I am glad every time they do that because it's only recently that we've started seeing a little more experimentation with gender in like the human characters, but toilets have been doing it
0: from this novel forward. I think occasionally it's an accident in costuming or makeup, but it seems to be something that keeps happening now that I don't think we can just chalk it up to an accident. It seems to be, uh, yeah, I think,
2: I think solo, it was an accident, but I, I could see it having been a, Conscious decision on um the Boba Fett.
0: I I also think that it might be a cheeky way for uh people in the know at Lucasfilm to slide gender rebellion into stuff past uh whatever censors higher ups at Lucasfilm or Disney seem to be very uncomfortable with queer representation on screen.
1: Uh, If I had to guess, I would say based on the facts that the books and the comics have been killing it, I'm going to guess it's probably Disney. I don't want to give Lucasfilm a bunch of credit. I just don't think Disney's that involved in checking the books and comics, so I think they're able to get away with things like everything in Dr. Aphra all the time. Whereas yes. they are watch Disney is watching their flagship products like a hawk, and they are watching their animation like a hawk, and they're being like, mm mm, nix that. That's my personal theory, at any rate. But I don't want to give Lucasfilm any credit that they're not due. Uh, that's just my personal theory as to who is probably why they're probably getting away with it in books and comics more. Although hopefully. Hopefully we will see it more in live action and and in the animation. Looking Look at you upcoming film, everything
0: even publishing which is way more prominent with all sorts of representation than film and animation. Uh but even even publishing has uh their struggles that I uh continually wish they did better with uh there are certain authors who i'll read anything they write and i know that uh they're going to take care of me but then there are plenty of other ones that either uh continually drop the ball or uh just clearly have no interest in queer people existing in star wars and uh don't go out of their way to provide it so
1: yeah and i think that we, we hear all the time, like, why, why are you bringing up queer representation in Star Wars? And I think it's important for everybody, you know, not just queer people, but, you know, allies as well, not only to bring up where representation can be done better, but where it has been done well. And to be mm-hmm. vocal about both sides of that coin and constantly bring it up because it's so important to people. And because people actually do listen to that stuff, they do pay attention to what you say, and they do pay attention to what you say works and what you say doesn't work. And I think it's important to keep making that noise so that it impacts the decisions that are made going forward. And I think that that's something we've been seeing, particularly in the advent of social media, you know, it's the bridge between different subsets of fans and the creators is much smaller. And in some cases, this is very bad because you can make reactionary stuff that caters to a small vocal uh, minority of people who get rage clicks in the fandom. But it also shortens the gap between people who are calling for representation in our Star Wars and the creators so that they, they hear us when we say this didn't work, or this would have been a good place for a queer character, but you didn't put one in here, or this queer character is amazing, more like this, please, or please read the current run of Dr. Afra. It is so good. <laughs> it is so good. I'm obsessed with Just Lucky. Please read this comic so Lucky. that Just Lucky will th- show up in more things.
0: <laughs> Why do you think this book... To, to bring it back to Lords of the Sith, why, Ryan, I'm going to ask you first, why do you Hit think me. this was set on Ryloth? Um,
2: that's a good question. I mean, my, my cynical answer is because they knew that Rebels was coming and they knew that there was a Sindula main character. Uh, but I think Ryloth is interesting in that in this time, I mean, Ryloth was always more so in Legends. It was like a hot stronghold that didn't take sides in the war. But in canon, it had been an imperial occupation of Ryloth had been heavily foreshadowed in Clone Wars, but you still have the criminal elements. You have Moors dealing with the Hutts, um, and it was kind of the only established setting where you could have these very different power dynamics coming together with the stakes that they had.
0: Charles, why do you think it was set on Ryloth?
1: Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean in a slightly different direction. And I'm gonna say, I think because of the way they set up Ryloth in Clone Wars, where they set it up as a place where rebellion was already happening, and revolution was built into the society that they had created for the Clone Wars. And I think that if you're looking at very early Empire, if you're looking at somewhere where revolution was already going to have been started, that it hadn't kicked up, Ryloth was a great place essentially to demonstrate what the rest of the galaxy is going to go through. Cham raises the point multiple times that he wants Ryloth to be like a ground zero. The reason they're so determined to kill the Emperor Invader there is that he believes that if they do this, revolution will break out across the galaxy and that will increase the chance of Ryloth being free. And we even see, again to bring it around to the end of the book, The way Palpatine is able to defeat the Free Ryloth movement is by setting up a situation where the Free Ryloth movement strikes before they're ready, and when they're out in the open, he is able to crush them. And we will see Palpatine do this exact thing in Return of the Jedi, when he lures the Rebel fleet into a confrontation and... General Draven correctly calls in Rogue One that this is one of the things the Emperor does. So I think as far as being on Ryloth, I don't know if it was the intent, but it certainly works really well to sort of bridge the gap between Clone Wars and the original trilogy by showing how a revolution this early in the timeline that is already built up and is already built into the society goes when it is confronting the the actual Empire itself.
2: Why do you think it was set on Ryloth, Andy?
0: I think uh, it's set on Ryloth because Chansendula is a mirror of Vader here. Um, I love with, you know, looking at another rebel leader, Saw Gerrera, when we see him in Rogue One, he uh, is having trouble breathing and has a device that helps him breathe like Vader, and he's got a cybernetic leg and this armor, And he's kind of become this thing he was fighting, uh, very symbolically. And I think similarly to that, Cham is a spiritual Vader here. Uh, both men have lost their wives. Both men are on a crusade. And, uh, by the end of this, Cham will lose his kind of Ahsoka figure. Uh, this mentee that he has been training up, who is younger than him and looks up to him. Um... And so I think this was set on Ryloth to kind of explore these two men who, like Macbeth, have waded into an ocean of blood and now they're in too deep to go back and the only way through is forward, but on opposite sides. And they're both making compromises with themselves and their ideals to try and see this through the best way they can. Well, it's also a
1: very much a a savage planet, at least the way that it's depicted in this, that it's a very brutal planet to live on. And that savagery brings out the most extreme elements in everyone that has to confront it. Vader, uh, Istval, all of the different characters, except Palpatine. Palpatine's just chill the whole time. Yeah, Palpatine's having count a great the number day. number of times Palpatine was like, I agree and then they just went and did a thing he was like that dude had like smoked something in his cabin the minute before and he was just riding the high the whole book
0: yeah the, the conditions too with the like predators and the uh, the weather conditions and the, the harsh landscape uh, lend itself to this kind of most dangerous game hunt there situation is. that is going on
1: I was wondering like what Cause you brought up Macbeth and I was like, what other thing does this remind it's most dangerous game? Yeah, they're they're
0: hunting Sith, yeah.
1: Or like even kinda maybe Shades of like Apocalypse Now, I'm almost kinda getting from it.
0: It's kinda like Predator too. The the first Predator, yeah. Guys, this is a very
1: savage book, audience. Yeah. This is a very savage book. Uh it's it it goes places without being like overtly like edgy dark, uh, but it is a very dark book.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it's in the title. That but it's you're sad. right that it, it's it, right It could have. Yeah, but it, you're right that it. I didn't really consider this, that it could have been like an edgy. I don't know, like I didn't like the Darth Bane novels
1: that much and it could have been that, but it wasn't about that. One thing I liked is that a lot of the um a lot of the dialogue between Vader and Palpatine was talk like really getting into exploring that dynamic and the dynamic of what does it mean mentally to be in a master and apprentice relationship. I think it's very very easy to take a character who is in the dark side and make them like an edge lord. And <laughs> I've always Disliked that sort of characterization. Um, I have made no bones about the fact that I am not wild about the Force Unleashed at all. And part of part of why that repulses me, I I know people are immediately going to come at me because everybody like people love the Force Unleashed, but I don't. I stand and, with you. And part of the reason I don't like it is because the conception of Starkiller as a character is sort of pushing that edginess to an extreme. And yet he does like turn to the light at the end, but he also spends the first half of the game like butchering anybody who gets in his way with zero consequences for his actions. Sam
0: Witwer hot, make brain go. <laughs>
1: I mean, that is the one good thing about, about Starkiller is that Sam Witwer is putting his whole ass soul into voicing Starkiller. I will give him that. However, it does lean into this very edgy, like, and I really, really dislike the existence. Is it Force Unleashed Two that they do like a Dark Side campaign, and he like murders his way through all the protagonists of the? It's
0: DLC for the first game. It's DLC yeah, the for first the first game. The first game and the
2: second game
1: both had DLCs. Don't like don't like the existence of that because it's very like. <sighs> Very edgy, one-note, dark, let's power fantasy, let's kill all the, the namby-pamby good guys Is an awesome, badass Sith. And this book takes great pains not to do that with Vader yes. and the Emperor. And I really, really liked that. Canon in particular, and even with the Imperial characters, uh, Belkordre and Moff Moores are both not good people, but we are shown clearly why they are not good people
0: yeah even if you even if you like these characters uh, the book uh, does does zero sugarcoating in uh, obfuscating their their flaws and um, you know revealing their worst tendencies um, that's something that like... I'm a big Kylo Ren fan and a lot of other Kylo Ren fans talk about the character in a way that I find slightly off-putting because they remove a lot of the agency from his decisions and kind of make it out like, oh, Softboy didn't (laughs) didn't know what he was doing and none of it was his fault and actually it was all a big understanding and he was uh he was tricked into this or that and it's like look i don't know what movies y'all watch but uh even in
1: the rise of kylo ren comics he murders people like i don't like those comics (laughs)
2: I don't like that they took the destruction of Luke's academy out of his hands, but I there is a lot there that I do like.
0: I yeah I I, I, mean, I, I like his gay relationship with <clears throat> that fucking twink Jedi. I think that's great. I think that's very interesting. But uh, my my biggest issue with that comic is that it contradicts uh, direct stuff in the film.
1: Yeah, it it it's sort of like. One thing that I do like about it, because uh, it's a mixed bag for me too, but one thing I did like about it is that by the end of the comic, he has murdered people and he has done bad things and he has fully embraced the dark side. Like, it made it it his choice to do this at the end. And I did like that a lot with those yeah, comics. No, there and, were parts and of it. And that's important. But I was like, eh.
0: Love the costuming. Love the art but uh i had i had some some key philosophical uh issues with it but yet to that point i like kylo ren because he does terrible things and is a bad person and uh by the end of the sequel trilogy has uh made decisions to try and atone for those actions um and uh i don't love it when fans uh, argue that nothing was his fault and he didn't make any decisions and uh, he's a good guy the whole time actually. Same thing with like Thrawn like fucking Timothy Zahn is always trying to do that with Thrawn and I'm like buddy I know that he's your very special OC and you love him very much but... He enslaves a planet in
1: Legends like you wrote
0: this. in In your original Thrawn trilogy like he's so interesting because he's a bad dude and he's great in rebels because he's a bad dude. And all of the new newer Thrawn books, Zahn is has bought into the fan theory that actually the empire were the good guys the whole time. And, uh, is trying to do that with Thrawn and it's, it's rough. It's a rough, it's a rough, uh, view of that character that I find, uh, un- un- uncomfortable and uninteresting. I find it boring. Um do we just want to rapid fire some things we like about this book?
1: Do you want to talk about Moth Moore specifically first? Ooh, yes, yes. Sure. Cause she's our first uh, our first explicitly canon on the page LGBTQ Star Wars character is a spiced out, incompetent Imperial moth who goes through a character arc. And does end up surviving and winning at the end. And she survives. I, canonically. I, I looked this up, actually, because I wanted to check. They don't execute her. They let her keep being Moth after this. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. I love her. I think she's great. I liked her arc of... Like, it's a very, like, stereotypical, like, straight guy trope. In that her, part, her wife died... And she is now just kind of, like, living a life of, like, debauchery uh, and, like, ignoring her work and ignoring her job and just, like, throwing orgies and, like, doing coke. Then, like, this, you know, champ lights the planet on fire and she has to, like, get her head back in the game. And that is, like, such a stereotypical, like, you know, Stranger Things, that's Hopper, right? Like, Hopper's a shitty dude. Because he, like, experienced a bunch of trauma and he drinks now. But now, like, shit's happening and he has to, like, get his head back in the game. You know? Like, that's... I thought it was a fun, like, character arc for this queer woman to go on. Because uh, you don't get to see women ever have that arc. Or especially queer people, so... I think I have I have two points with her. Uh
1: Firstly, I... I do disagree with sort of the fan characterization of her as this sort of spiced out, uh, incompetent, orgy, you know, having person. Uh, because that's this, for the same people that I the same reason that I disagree with the characterization of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi as being like a grumpy old hermit who is on his island and doesn't want anything to do with it. That's the starting point of her arc. That's only the first part of the movie. If you watch the whole movie or read the whole book, she goes through an arc and she's not the same person at the end. And I think that that, for me, dampens the fact that she's a very flawed character a lot because she's in a flawed starting place, but by the end of the book, she's gotten herself together. Still a fascist, which is bad, but she has gotten herself together. The second point is, I do remember when this book came out, and there was some criticism that this was the only queer character we had in canon, and she was, like, this drugged-out imperial. I think there's some merit to that, but I think coming at the book in 2022, when we have a lot more queer characters, I think it's, it's much more palatable now that she's not the only one. That... There's other characters who are nobler people because I also think queer characters in media should be allowed to be flawed people. I don't think they should be put up on pedestals and like never have any flaws whatsoever. I love Dr. Afra and I love Dr. Afra so much because she's such a shitty person, she feels like a real person to me. And I think looking at Moore's in 2022, she's a lot more palatable now that we have a bit of a
0: gayer universe to play in. Um, I'm just going to plug Good Neighbors. Everyone should listen to the actual play podcast I'm on. Because I agree. I completely agree. Uh, queer characters should be allowed to be shitty people. Um, and uh, I find the idea of like very vanilla, very safe, very... Uh, heteronormative queer characters who are plastic and safe for consumption uh, because they are family friendly Uh, kind of exhausting not that there's not a place for them but that when that's all we get that sucks so
1: 100 i think that you know there is a place for it i think when i look at you know different types of media across the spectrum there are places there are stories where that's going to be the story that people want to tell, that they want to tell a very safe story with queer characters. The first season of Heartstopper is is a pretty good example of this. It's a very low stakes sort of... Now, I've, I've heard things about where it's going. Like, the books apparently take a darker turn, but at least in terms of the first season, you know, it's a very sort of safe, fluffy sort of show. Uh, I think there's... Merit to those sorts of stories existing, because as particularly young queer people, it happens a lot with like young adult things, young queer people reading that and as a form of escapism, I think is a very, very good thing to have available to them to do. But I also think that it's important for stories to look at queer characters as characters. And part of that comes with characters that are flawed. And exploring those flaws And in some cases, with stories that are set in the contemporary day, flaws that are extremely specific to queer people. I, one of my favorite themes to work with as a writer is particularly the the way that gay men in particular are, and I say this as a gay man, are really shitty to each other and to other queer people. We can be truly awful to them as a subset of the community. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about and discussed and shown through media more so that we have conversations about it. So I think that there's there's merits to the different types of stories existing for different audiences and different purposes is the point of that rambling thing I just went on.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, Sometimes I want Wiccan and Hulkling, but sometimes I also want to see Mystique and Destiny do terribly shitty things. Exactly.
1: It's if yeah. ev- many things can exist simultaneously. Not mm-hmm. everything has to be the same thing. I, 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 I will admit it. I like reading fluffy little stories about queer characters falling in love and barely anything bad happens to them. It's it's a form of escapism. But I also like reading the run of Doctor Afra, where everyone in the story is queer and everyone in the story is a deeply shitty human person. Or whatever Kofan Ferris is. Um, I'm not sure if they've said what they are. Do we know what they are? I don't think so. But now I'm looking it up. They're, they're an icon, is what they are.
0: They're a legend. <laughs> uh, Alright. Rapid Fire, just like... Two things you guys liked in the book.
2: I liked getting our first... I think this was the first hint at the fate of the clones Mm -hmm. the idea that a clone is a royal guard but I think that's the only one is that the only one we see alive in the book
1: that's the only one we see alive in the book uh I like Gobi Gobi does show up at one point love Gobi um it's hard to find a thing that I liked that I haven't already gotten a chance to talk about. I like the small hints to Ryloth culture and history. One thing I didn't talk about was there's a bit where they go in and they look at, at like cave graffiti or something or paintings or something. And they mention that it's it's elements of resistance from the present day, the Clone Wars, and then before the Clone Wars. So even in that one little line, there's like a hint that Ryloth has done this before this has happened a lot and Ryloth is pretty used to it. So there's lots of tons of tiny little details or like the whole Twi'lek village being like this, this group of people that have escaped from slavery generations ago and formed their own village and that there's such villages that have learned to live off the land. It's it's the book doesn't stop to like explain to you in detail the planet of Ryloth, but you get a good sense of the planet of Ryloth just, reading the book or listening to it.
0: Ryloth loves a revolution. Um, anything that you guys. Oh, another little thing I love. I love that uh, Vader thinks about like Plo Koon and Ahsoka at different yeah. points throughout it. And, uh, and Mace Windu and shit like it's. There's some great Anakin beats throughout this, despite it being a book about Vader. I'm I'm going to follow
1: off of that. And I'm going to say that one thing that really struck me is how interesting it is to read about Vader grappling with the fact that he's Anakin and that he has Anakin's memories and he's lived Anakin's life coming off of the back of Obi-Wan Kenobi, where he tries to convince Obi-Wan and is basically like gaslit by Palpatine into being like, no, I don't care about Obi-Wan because Anakin would have cared about Obi-Wan and Vader doesn't. Vader's above that. I think it's interesting to read this book with that context in mind and see him grapple with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Anything is, and this is timeline oh, wise. Sorry, this is, right. No, sorry. This is timeline wise. I was just going to say this is exactly halfway between. Revenge of the Sith, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So if Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of him at his nadir, the fall sort of being complete, this is an interesting time to get into his head.
1: Yeah, if we look at the things in order, it's Revenge of the Sith, then the Darth Vader comics by Charles Soule, this, then Obi-Wan Kenobi, then Rebels. Yeah. Essentially. And we get to see him plummet all the way down. To, by the time we hit A New Hope, Rogue One, A New Hope. Yeah, Anakin Skywalker, he he has been left behind by Obi-Wan Kenobi. He has been manipulated by Palpatine for years. He has killed-ish Ahsoka Tano. He's, he's been through a lot by the time he gets there. And then uh, finds out that he has a kid. Which is incidentally another reason that I do not... I, I do not care for the Force Unleashed for another reason, because uh, when he talks about, like, overthrowing the Emperor, but not with Starkiller, and I'm like, that's a little early in the timeline for you to be actively considering taking out the Emperor, like, like, the whole point is you, you can't resist the Emperor, that's, that's where you are in Return of the Jedi, like, I know you say it to Luke and Empire, but the second you get in front of the Emperor, you can't... Mm. Mm. I keep promising various discords that I'm in that one day we will do an episode on Gold Squadron on why I really do not like The Force Unleashed. <laughs> but we're not there yet. I'm not about to hijack Force Friends Rewatch to just talk about how much I dislike The Force Unleashed.
0: <laughs> Sam Witwer hot, make brain go...
1: Sam Witwer, if you ever get tired of being
0: straight, call me. Uh, anything you guys would change about the book? Uh, I don't really have anything. I think it's a great read. I guess I
2: would change that point where Vader accidentally calls fives sixes. I would change that real fast. But I imagine <laughs> they have by now. Um,
1: I would change some of the pacing a little bit. It's, it's a weirdly paced book. Uh, I would maybe also add, like an epilogue or it it felt like it needed one more chapter. The story sort of ends. Uh, we don't get to see what happens to Moors. I had to look up the fact she's in a canon short story after the fact, and she's still the moth. Uh, we don't really get sort of a final, it feels like they ended the sentence, but they didn't put a period on. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like everything the book does. It is interestingly paced. Uh, like the perilous doesn't blow up until like halfway through the book. And that's like the inciting incident of the book. Like most of the first half is set up. Uh, so I, I might have altered the pacing and I might have added like maybe one more chapter on. Maybe I just wanted
0: more of the book. Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, Charles, where can people find you? What do you want to plug? Where do
1: I want to plug? Well, uh, Bradley will get very mad and yell at me if I do not mention once again that you can listen to me pretty much every week do this on Gold Squadron Gaze. Uh, You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. In the app, you are probably listening to this podcast right now. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at at Gold Squad Gaze. We are on Instagram and TikTok at, at Gold Squadron Gaze. I'm particularly proud of our TikTok because I animate clips from our show, which is very cool. If you want to follow me personally and yell at me about my bad takes, you can follow me at my personal Twitter at CWRogers6. Um, that's where you can find me personally. And that's about all the places people should be able to find me.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us. You can follow us at Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We want to give you give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are grateful to be part of the Where They May Radio Network. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon at Patreon slash bleh, 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 at Patreon slash WTM Radio, as well as bonus content from music and lyrics by ending pending and fanfiction is good, actually. Oh, and Good Neighbors. I should add that into my script so I remember to say it. Uh, Charles, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you Gold so Squadron much. Thank you Gaze. for having me on. It's been a blast. Love your show. You're great. Thanks for being here. We went fucking long, but it was worth it. Absolutely it, a banger. It,
1: it tends to happen. We Look, every time we do a guest episode on Gold Squadron... I always say in the pre meeting, I'm like, let's try to keep this about an hour ish, which is about our usual episode runtime. I don't think we've ever had a single guest episode go below two hours, uh, mostly because I don't know how to shut the fuck up, which is maybe why I have a podcast.
2: Ryan, how do we end the podcast? We say if this is the end, let it be memorable.
1: And I would like to add that if it is to be the end, maybe we should tell the boy about his parents. Yeah! (laughs) Coming in here with the callback. (laughs) I love a good callback. What can I say? I love a good callback.
0: Where they may, radio.